Honestly, that's a big part of what I did for four years while I was overseas. Basketballers are allergic to the weight room. So it was about building a relationship. And I spoke about it earlier, is understanding their why. Why are they doing what they do? Once you understand why they're doing it, some guys might be, they play basketball because they love it. Hello and welcome to the High Performance Podcast for AFL staff and athletes, sponsored by Prepare Like a Pro. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I host a live monthly episode Q&A with, for Australian rules footballers and another one for strength and conditioning coaches. I hope you enjoy this, this interview. Please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Podcast for AFL staff and athletes. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today, lucky enough for my guest is Daniel Jones, the head strength and conditioning coach at the Geelong Football Club. Our Topic for today's chat be all around strategic strength and conditioning, uh, diving into athlete profiling for both AFL and NBA sports more specifically. So, athletes, make sure to get your, your notepads out and, of course, SCs. If you're tuning in, feel free to send us some questions your way. I'm sure we'll find some in for uh, yeah, your questions a little bit later on. But welcome, Dan. Thanks for jumping on, mate. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. For those that uh, aren't aware of your, your path, obviously, a fair few that will be tuning in the industry will be, but uh, if maybe those. Uh, that haven't heard your story, mate. Do you want providing a bit of background, I guess, from an academic as well as professional experiences along the way? Yeah, absolutely. So I was at uh, University of Ballarat, graduate uh, back in the day. And then just through that, I suppose that's where I got my taste of coaching. I, my third year of the exercise science degree down there, kind of started to work with the, the North Ballarat Roosters, which are, are now no more in the VFL. And I literally started that as that 140-hour placement, which then over the next kind of four years or so, I think it was, I kind of stepped up into an assistant role. And I was really lucky that after two years, the the head of S&C there, Stephen Abrazizi, moved on through work commitments. He, he moved to New Zealand. And while I was a 23-year-old, I think, got the raise of a VFL program. So while I was doing that, I was also studying my Master's of Strength and Conditioning at Edith Cowan University. So I really got to use that as a, a testing bed for the stuff that I was learning throughout the Masters and was implementing that at a semi-professional level, I guess. I had a really good group of athletes at that stage that put their trust in me. And we were doing some stuff at that point that probably a lot of AFL teams weren't doing. And, and at that space, we also had the, the North Melbourne alignment as well. So... Some of the stuff we were doing there, we had the development coaches at North Melbourne that would come down game day and they'll, they would ask some questions. And I was fortunate from there to get an internship. I think it might have been 2013, halfway 2013 and 2014 at North Melbourne. So again, I got to learn what was going on at an AFL level as a really young SNC coach and bringing that back into the VFL. And so, yeah, I got to work at VFL level for five or six years, kind of similar to yourself. And then doing an internship at AFL level and then by kind of 2015 I was on the full time I was full-time staff member at North Melbourne starting the rehab space and then over time from there stepped up into taking over the, the first of third year strength programs as well as staying the rehab piece and then when Dan Meehan moved on and he went over to Brooklyn as their head of strength and conditioning I was then able to take over there as the head of us and say all the head strength coach sorry in 2017 2018. I tell you, it was kind of a, a nice graduated progression through that system at North Melbourne, and, and the kind of then led me on to follow Dan a few years later, and 
he got me over to Brooklyn as an athletic performance coach and then a couple of years into that as a head of s The Prepare Like a Pro Academy has been a great way to develop my coaching skills and how to utilise the theory and use it in real world scenarios. It's also highlighted the importance of interpersonal skills and developing that and how to best communicate with other coaches, stakeholders and players, whether that be through designing training plans, fitness test data or monitoring training loads for each player. Jack's also been a really great mentor for me and point of call with any questions or queries I've had throughout the week and provide that support professionally for me uh, as I progress through my career. Uh, The PLP Academy has also opened a lot of job opportunities and has really allowed me to cement myself as a coach. Fantastic. Yeah, now back back at the Cats, that's, yeah, like you said, amazing journey, decade over in, in elite sport now. I guess to unpack a little bit, to go back to maybe the sports side students that are listening in, what were your strategies in terms of getting that placement at Ballarat and ultimately getting that internship. You mentioned conversations with coaches and building those relationships that helped. But yeah, I guess what are some tips for, for those listening in that want to sort of get their first foot in the door in an elite athletes program? Yeah, I think it's good. I talk to a lot of students about mixing out it. I think everyone wants to just get in and get straight to the elite level. I was really fortunate at Ballarat that I just reached out to them. The guy that was the assistant at that point was moving on and they had an opening. And I reached out and I was the only one. So I was able to do that at VFL level. And there's really only two people that are running a VFL program. You might have the guy that's doing everything and then his assistant. So you're really hands-on role. So my, I remember my first night there, I was taking a boxing session and I was over in the gym doing a lift with them. And that was my first night. So from day one, I was all on the tools. And then from there, the more trust that they get in you, the more tasks they give you. And then from there, you become a legitimate second set of hands for them and more you'll be running rehab programs in the end. So yeah, I as a, a student, like starting at the lower levels and being able to actually get hands dirty and just reach out to organizations, whether it be the VFL or even down in Melbourne, like you're looking at the amateur competition now, like they're near on semi-professional themselves. So being able to get your hands on, hands dirty that's going to be the best way that you can learn your craft, learn how to coach. At the end of the day, we're S&C coaches. It's coaching the title. And you've got to be able to do that. You can't just necessarily be book smart. You've got to be able to apply that and learn how to interact with people. And, yeah. And yeah, you mentioned you were, you were 23 at the time. So I imagine that, that would have had its fair set of challenges leading a program with guys that would have been you know, similar age or, or older. Um, so it plays a list. What were some sort of learnings from that? From a management point of view, I guess as well. I mean, you yeah, came to a very young age. Yeah, I think it was. I had a adder at the time. Basically, said like, be respected and liked, but you're not their friend. At the end of the day, there was always a bit of a line while I was younger. They go like, oh, we'll be able to get you to do what I need you to do, but also be like and be respected in that sense. And you, yeah, you're not your mate. Like at some points, I had thirty year olds, twenty three year old, and there was thirty one, thirty two year olds running around. So. Respected, not liked, and I ended up trying to change that to respected and liked. Mm. And I think that really helped. And probably over the over my journey, that's I've held that same mantra going through all the way through to when I was working over in America. Um, same way as I've come back here, it's they're all just people. You got to understand the why to each individual, what makes that individual tick, and and not just they're not just a number. But at different points in my career, I think in everyone's career, probably. When you get under the pump, you can lose out of it. But they're not just a number. They are an individual and they're no different to you and I. 
and they deserve that same amount of respect, each and, every, each and every one of them. Yeah, it's a really good, it's a good way of putting it, actually. You do hear of that a fair bit, especially early on. It's advice, I certainly love heard before, yeah. Imports of being respected and, and not liked, but I think it, like you touched on it, there's obviously an aspect of being able to tell the hard truths and that respect piece that's important. But ultimately, they've, you've got to be able to you know, give them support, like you said, treat them like a human, not not, not a number. That liked aspect that they're there, you're there with their best interest. That perception and, and care is also important. So I think it's been a good one, good gem straight away for the listeners, right? And, and you mentioned Dan Mann, who have been, who else have been some sort of strong influences, and what has and how's Dan helped shape your sort of philosophy as well over AFL and NBA? Yeah, so I, was, I, I suppose I was really fortunate that I, just from a really young age, like I, was, I was 23, 24 when I got exposed to an AFL program. So I had Dan there as the head of S&C or the head strength coach at North Melbourne and we had Steve Saunders there as our high performance manager. So definitely had Steve and Dan that um, definitely shaped um, my philosophy early doors and that's still definitely a bedrock of my programming now from a, a streak and injury prevention standpoint. And at the same time, we also had John of Segal there as well, who John uh, was dietitian conditioning back when I started and then obviously came on and was the high performance manager there for a few years as well. So all three really good friends, mentors, still keeping contact with them today. Obviously work, we stayed down at Geelong. So I obviously started that, started my philosophy, started where I learned my K-pop and then moving on from there, kind of all come back, he'd been in the NBA at the cab. So he then started to shift my mindset a little bit as, well, Scott Dickinson was at North for 12 months, strength coach as well. And spent a lot of time with Olympic sports. So it kind of started to expose me a little bit to, I suppose from there, it was once I then got over to into Brooklyn, like my world really got opened up to world-class practitioners, being able to spend time, or spend time with Andy Barr, physiotherapist, spent many, many years working within the United States, NBA, soccer, now has his own um, performance clinic in LA. And then just being having Keith Barr as well, being able to really utilize his tendon research and his mind around uh, tendon health for basketball. So there are a few that have really kind of just opened up my eyes to multiple different ways now of programming and developing a, a system that overall hopefully keeps athletes fit and healthy and able to perform at the highest level. Yeah, on that point in terms of when, you, when your philosophy is sort of evolving, when you're exposed to different environments, different practitioners, and you, and you apply that at how do you like to sort of go about, okay, how maybe there's a clash with certain methods or certain principles at times? Like how do you go about, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sway towards this one and, and make a change and, or sort of evolve your philosophy from what it used to be? Sorry, guys, we just had a little technical issue there. Right. You got me? You all right? Yeah, I've got you now. Sorry about that. Yeah. Did you hear the question or you me to repeat it? I've got half of it. Yeah, so, well, you mentioned how you're sort of evolving your, your philosophy from that exposure to different practitioners, different different environments. How do you go about, I guess, advice for, for S&Cs when you're changing an environment? How do you go about sort of adjusting your philosophy and how you're applying those those changes to maybe you might be starting to uh, drop one practice or one method that you used to do and, you, and you've made a shift to it? Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan or huge believer of what not one model fits every athlete. Different points, like you can be, I, I talk to people a lot, you can be a functional strength coach, you can be an Olympic lifting strength coach, you can be whatever you want to be. And it's, it's kind of whatever model fits 
whatever's best for any particular individual at any particular time. So probably early doors at North Melbourne, we didn't do a huge amount of axial loading. We basically did basically sagittal plane work. And then over time, programs evolved into heavy axial loading, into a lot of frontal plane work, transverse work. Look, it's whatever is right for whatever individual at any point in time. Old guys may need something complete. Like old guys, old athletes at the better in a long time will need something very, very different to what uh, first year coming into an ACOL program is. A bit of my philosophy is first year's coming into a program, probably general adaptation is all they need, progressive overload. They're going to get stronger. They're, we know tendon takes longer than the muscle to adapt and get stronger. So are we really trying to get them super strong, super quick? Because no, we're probably just going to irritate some tendon and, and blow that tendon out potentially. But we're risking general adaptation, take effect, let the tendon take that time to catch up. And then from there, you can start exposing them to, I suppose, more of your, stri- your traditional strength and conditioning programs come year two, three, four. Like an old guy, maybe they just need some higher end velocity work. Maybe they don't need heavy amount of strength work. But is that really what's needed? What bucket needs to get filled at what particular time for whatever athlete you pretty much sums up where I'll go with any particular programming. And then I think that kind of comes down to the athletic profiling that you do, right? I think everyone profiles their athletes in some capacity. It's just how well-rounded do you want to make that profile? How do you want to actually use that information that you take? And then you develop that program out. That's probably where I've got to in the last two to three years. Since being exposed to what Dan and um, the crew in Brooklyn had done, now it's definitely for me taking that. We added to it over time. And then now that's kind of where I'm at and trying to start to do that with football. It's not something that you go to be able to do overnight because some of this stuff hasn't been done in footballers. So you don't have normative data. So you need to be able to use maybe one year, two years, three years of information until you get a sample size of 500 data points. And then you can start getting a really nice understanding of where guys fit um, with certain things. Some testing, there's normally data out there and you can use that. But some of the other stuff's a little bit like, all right, let's see where we're And you, it's, again, it's with coaches. Like you've got to have coaches eye. You've got to know where guys need to fit, what they need to do. So that's probably a long-winded answer. Um, no, it's a good way. Good, that's probably where I'm at. And it's a good segue probably for the for the topic. What are, From an athlete profiling point of view, I guess, let's unpack that a little bit more. Like, What are some of the significant differences when profiling an NBA athlete compared to an, an AFL footballer? I might lose a few friends here, but probably not a lot. AFL football, there's a little bit more, there's more aerobic, it's more running-based sport. So mm-hmm. naturally, you'll do more fitness, aerobic fitness testing and profiling from that standpoint. But at the end of the day, they all actually do pretty similar movements. Football's done over a longer time frame. So you're starting to look at the physiological differences from a aerobic sport versus a game of basketball, which is very anaerobic, but still has an aerobic component. But if you're looking from a weight room perspective, they all do the same sort of movement. So other than the fact that basketball might have a few more tendon issues than what footballers might have, I've actually profiled them exactly the same way. Basketball, it's the game demands are slightly different. To what the game demands, like there's a lot more deceleration in basketball, so you got to be able to be probably a lot more eccentric. They like, need a lot more eccentric strength from that standpoint. But you still decelerate in football. Probably where I've got to since coming back and being able to delve into some GPS information that we've had over the last few years, you still do a high number of decelerations in a game. Basketball might be a 
three, two and a half to one ratio, Accel- uh, deceleration to acceleration. Football might be one to one for some guys on acceleration to deceleration. And they actually do decelerate still quite a lot, wondering why guys come in maybe a little bit donzy from a game. Well, go back and have a look at what their deceleration parameters look like because that's probably that's a really high skeletal cost on the muscle. Probably when I left football 2019, we started, that's, we we're looking a lot at acceleration. And I, even when I came back, we we're still looking at a lot of that acceleration sort of work. Then we started to look at the deceleration part. It's like, all right, you know, this might, a few guys here, that starts to make a little bit of sense why they present the way that they do on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Going through profiling guys, definitely look at a lot of the same stuff because at the end of the day, we're just trying to make them better athletes, first and foremost. So, yeah, from, from that end, I'll still like strength testing is a, is a really key piece to that. Typically, what I, I've liked to do is I like to force velocity profile guys, both horizontally and vertically. So whether you're looking at the horizontal force velocity, force velocity profile, you can use that one. It's free or it's using the My Sprint app. It's a 30-meter test, and that will give you your horizontal profile. Similar to your vertical profile, My Jump. If you've got force plates, you can do it on the force plate as well. And then you're starting to get what their, their movement signature looks like. So once you've kind of got those two things, you can start to marry that up a little bit with if you got do strength testing measures with them. Marry up if you've got a hang tech, force frame, whatever you want to do. You can start to look at if guys are, they're probably not, well, if they're weak vertically, and by that I mean they're actually relatively good jumpers. The moment you put weight on their back, they, they'd lack their ability to, to produce force vertically. And then likewise, if they've got a reasonable max speed, but their five and 10 meter acceleration time, well, you're probably not going to do a huge amount of jumping with them. You probably just go spend most of the time, most of your time, trying to get them strong because they're going to be velocity deficient and for, or the force deficient, not velocity deficient. And you kind of, once you kind of put your, your two velocity profiling scores together and the strength testing, kind of that actually starts to feed a nice little picture of how that athlete actually moves. And, and that's what I kind of mean by that when you say, well, we're just trying to make them better athletes first and foremost. So if they're weak, you probably don't need to spend a huge amount of time on plyometrics and jumping because where they're actually, they'll be able to be a bang for their buck if we just get them strong because they'll be able to then jump better anyway. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to recover better. Also like doing the, the change direction te- like change direction deficit test. It's essentially a, a 505. What that then starts to get you to do, it allows you to work it, weed out a little bit. Are they eccentrically strong or are they not? So in that test, you're basically taking what their 10 meter acceleration time is from their force velocity profile, and then being able to take their 505 split. And the closer they are in that time, better change direction fruits of, well, is there an eccentric strength on one side versus the other? And your muscular control piece, is it just, if they're weak, you know it's probably eccentric strength that you need to work on as well. And that just feeds into the strength piece. If it's maybe a mechanical piece, uh, so a movement competency piece, maybe then you start working towards that and then just retest it. And you can do that through timing gates. I've done it here. We didn't have timing gates on one day and I just used the my jump, the my sprint app, and just basically got a time from when they crossed the line to when they came back past that line. I've got the same, you get the same time. So it's just that. Being a little bit creative if you don't have the tools at your disposal, I suppose. 
So once I've kind of pieced like those four tests together, three tests, four tests, I suppose once you do the, the strength testing on the Kang Tech or whatnot, now you're starting to get a nice little profile of how guys actually look and where you want to start to spend a bit more time in their program in the weight room. Let alone, I think if you're working where in an elite in professional environment, you'll be able to use movement screens that the physios have used. Right, what's their injury history? It's why they they lack the ability to change direction off their right leg or their left leg. They've had this injury history. Let's actually work towards being able to fix that. Does that then help their ability to move better? Does that help their score or their time difference come down? Once you start being able to break that down, that I think gives you a really sound sound profile to start working. Yeah, that's great, mate. Thanks for thanks for that. that that's a um... I'm sure all the all the SCs are loving the the nerd out session of unpacking all that information that you provided us. That's I really appreciate it. The going I guess for a scenario base, what's your does your mindset shift in your prep when you're putting a program together for someone like an athlete that's given to you, like you said, that is a senior athlete, maybe they've got a long list of, of injuries. So you sort of got that availability cap on as a priority compared to a younger athlete or maybe just same age actually but and they want to improve their performance we'll call it their performance do, do is your is your methods looking pretty similar 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 approach in terms of you're your improving their efficiency you're improving their capacity or is there a fair shift in how you go about it no because i think that's what you're we're here that's our job our job's to keep pushing these guys and doesn't matter like realistically the older athletes start to get they start to decline in different areas and our job as S&C coaches is to stop that or at least prevent that happening at a fast rate. So, yeah, we, I still profile all these guys. I may, may not do all of it. We'll still sprint guys. So, if you're still sprinting guys, you may as well profile them. If you have access to view motion, which there's probably a lot of clubs, AFL clubs around, you can still get those splits. So, there's your times for your, force, your horizontal force velocity profile there. Your vertical force velocity profile is as easy as just putting it in their weight session. Boys, we're going to surf the curve today. We're like, all right, cool, let's go. And that can be as easy as, all you got to do is video it, then you can come back later. So now you've force velocity profiling that. They've surfed the curve, they've ran. A little bit of stuff that I'm looking at at the minute is trying to get some drop, drop jump data and seeing where they fall in different quadrants. Are they long contact time, long like high jump height? Are they long low contact time, low jump height? Where do they actually fall? Once they fall into a certain quadrant, all right, now I'm just going to attack that. One session a week, their, I call it plyometric profile, they're deficient. We want them to be low contact time to high jump height. Like that's going to be utopia forever and right? Like they're springy, they're explosive. So that's kind of just from an older guy, an older set of athletes, they're all able to jump off a 30 centimeter box or a 40 centimeter box and do a jump, a box jump, a drop jump for you. So that's kind of, some stuff where you still have the profile guys and it gives them some information around guys like we're trying to make you better how do they feel like they're trying to you're still trying to get them better and not just get them to the line each and every week they'll buy into it if they know why education's key mm-hmm. like people don't know why that's probably the biggest thing i've learned over time if you're constantly trying to educate guys and you want them asking questions back to you if you're t- ask, getting them to ask questions and you're educating them it's their programming it's not then just doing a program that's written on a piece of paper or in builder or um, whatever system you use. It becomes their program and they feel um, ownership over that because they'll come to you and go, nah, 
I'm actually, I know what we're trying to do and I like this exercise. How about we think about doing it this way? Hey, you're now thinking about what you want to do in the weight room. Yeah. Like that's, that's gold for us. Like, so I guess that's a little bit of, to your point or your question is, how do you do it? Well, that's how. You still create getting that information. You're just feeding it into their gym sessions. You're still feeding it into their field sessions, I guess, through their sprint training that they're doing every teaching every week. The movement screen, physios do that all the time. When they come in and do a once-over on guys, go in and have the conversation with your physio. We shouldn't, in any set, any setting, you shouldn't work in silos. should be a hand-in-glove approach, whether that be SNC and physio, physio, SNC, SNC with front office staff. You've got to try and as best you can understand the direction of where everyone's going so you're all working the same direction. And that, yeah, that goes down to the players as well. I mean, from that, I guess, for the strength and power coach that's listening in and in, you know, wanting to have the, the best program for each athlete like you're discussing and there's a fair amount of, I can only imagine, systems that you've put in place and you're refined them over the years. Like, is it a matter of, obviously, once you you know these things and you've got these processes in place, obviously, you can you can roll them out once you've seen it. But for someone that's perhaps run the same program, not as objective potentially, but they're really looking to start to do that, what are some of the challenges from a workload point of view in and how do you and what are your sort of effective strategies in managing, you know, individualizing a group of forty three athletes, for example? Yeah, NBA, your, your smallest squads. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's not easy, but it's about both being prepared and understanding where you can get stuff done within the schedule, knowing over preseason, right? Where's a great time to get whatever test you want done? Is that your change of direction assessment? So, the change of direction deficit. Where can I get that? Is that part of a move, like a warm-up? Can we prep guys and do an athletic development session, which I'm assuming most teams probably do, or they just call warm-ups different things now, but can you build up and prep that over the course of two weeks to then go, boys, right, this is our test today. So you're getting that done. Like I said, you can surf the curve in the weight room with some jump profiling. Gym aware is a great, like, velocity-based training. Like, there's another one that we do, like... I've done previously and do here as well is it's not hard to get it's not hard to chuck a use gym wear the gym wear on and go up boys we're going five different weights go hardest and let's profile get a power profile for you similar to that with like their squat bench press bench throws whatever you want to do it's a reasonably easy sell to just get it done I think that's you don't want to make it um, intrusive on them and I'll work that in basketball build is build it into their weights programs build it into their weight sessions and because you we write them we know how to how to manipulate the program to how we need it so use your athletic development or your warm-ups movement efficiency whatever you call it if to get your change direction testing done and use that as your horizontal horse velocity profile similar to surface curve in the gym with squat squat jump however you want to do it most people i'm guessing that work within the afl environment do counter movement jumps once or twice a week to look at fatigue look at peak power look at that sort of stuff well there's there's your movement signature that you can start to look at there with different guys as well so finding rounding back to where you what your question was at the start finding time within the program is it's where you've got to start like in pre-season in season is a little bit harder maybe if you've got an eight-day break somewhere it just becomes part of their their lifting program that might be their only thing for the day is going through and doing that and then your accessory work becomes your hamstring work you can loading your calf work that becomes the primary for the day 
other than that little assessment. Basketball was a little bit different, definitely. Like we played 82 games. You're only at home three days a week, probably four days a week. So you typically won't get a lot of screening done through the season. Um, you'll get maybe some weekly monitoring done, um, hamstring testing, groin testing, whatnot. They're all happy to jump because they do that regularly. So you're happy to get a force plate measure. Some teams in the NBA jump guys every game back. They're getting 82 data points every week or every year. But you do have a long off-season with the NBA if you're not making playoffs or going deep into playoffs. So it gives you a chance to work genuinely going in and attacking where you think you need to get get the best results. Now remember, NBA, there's 8 million people in the world. 8 billion people in the world. There's 450 spots on an NBA roster. To get there, they're already elite. They're elite at what they do. They're elite at basketball. They're, they're freak athletes. But the vast majority know that someone's coming for their job. So they'll do what needs to get done to make them better. And that's similar to, I think, these guys especially down here at Geelong. Give them the educate, like educate them, give them the information and they'll do it because they want to get better. They want to be more explosive. Who doesn't want to be more explosive? Who wants to be, no one wants to be slow. Everyone wants to be better at stopping. If you can't decelerate, you're slower to get out the other way, which means you're, you're second for the ball straight away. That's probably a little bit of it. Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned, I think, a, a really important point, the engagement piece and getting the athletes to be curious, ask questions. Uh, for those more challenging athletes or maybe athletes, like you said, there's an education piece that's important, but perhaps there's a disconnect between what you've identified as an area that they need most important is bang for buck to, to maximise their development and, and they feel intuitively, no, it's not actually, I, I really hate that exercise or whatever it is that I hate for doing pliers, I really want to do this. Uh, sort of how do you, is there an example you could talk to or sort of how do you sort of approach that, I guess, when you feel as the expert, no, this is what you need, um, yeah, to bridge that gap and come together and ultimately make them feel like they're heard. Like I'll say you're, you're giving them the best program. Yeah, like honestly, that's a big part of what I did for four years while I was over. Basketballers are allergic to the weight room. So it was about building a relationship, and I spoke about it earlier, is understanding their why. Why are they doing what they do? you understand why they're doing it. Some guys it might be, they play basketball because they love it. Some guys it might be, this is their way of helping their family out. For other guys, it's, as a kid, it's keeping them off the streets. So once you understand their why, then you're starting to build, you're breaking down that barrier that you already have with them. And that's no different to here either. Like you, once you break that barrier down, they might start to trust the process a little bit more. But also again, it's their program. Like where you do the, assessments so to speak or the profiling and you're putting that information in front of them we should be good enough to have option a b c and d and once you just present those three options in front of them they'll choose one they may not like one option so that's off the table the other two they probably don't care about and neither should we really we should be good enough at prescribing what we need to get done so that's probably how i've gone about it and it's worked well sometimes it hasn't worked well other times and you've had to go back to the drawing board and go all right how do I get this done? Sometimes you actually do have to just lean on the athlete and go, right, mate, like, I know you don't like doing this, but this is in the best interest for you to get this done. We won't do it all the time. We'll only pull this card when we need to do it. But if you built that relationship with guys, that, that obviously goes a long way as well. Um, yeah, how's it? Um, and the, I guess going back to your career for a second there, like highlights that spring in front of mind was sort of some of those you're most proud of. Probably going like winding it all the way back to the start. I loved my time in the VFL. Like I think that's where I 
you learn to apply your craft. You learn how to mess up. Like you, that's you, you can't mess up it. Like you mess up at this level, and it's it's in some situations it's seasons done. Like as a youngest, and say like being able to learn down there and implement different things. Go actually, that didn't really work. That style of running didn't really work. Maybe I went the volume of that was just wrong. I'm programming, I did the pro- stuff that I did back in 2010. I cringe at looking at what I've done, like looking back on it. Was that some of the stuff that yeah. I alluded to that you were, you were trying some new things that other Fairfield clubs weren't doing? Yeah, yeah. Jump stuff. Cringe, yeah. But then there's other stuff in there that go, oh yeah, that, that really works. Like that, mm-hmm. that works. And you've ha- I've held that since. So that's kind of a bit that's, that's really fun. Like deep down, I really love that time. And then also just being the NBA experience. It's probably the hardest four years that I've ever done. Deprived, you know, you're never at home, you're away from your family. The adrenaline you get every other night when the games in the NBA always go down to the final minute. Like the end, the adrenaline that you get from that is um, second to none. Probably that that playoff run in, we lost to Milwaukee. Kevin's foot was on the line. Yeah, that was probably a, as disappointing as it was to get bundled out in the second round. Yeah, that was a fun, that was a really fun year. And on the flip side, mate, the, the most significant challenges are, like you mentioned, elite sport. You can be, you know, at times your job's on the line and yeah, there's what comes, a you know, massive amount of, of sort of pride as well as value and, and making you be able to impact it. On the flip side, there can be some really challenging times or yeah. more sort of scenarios you face that you sort of grow from, I guess. Yeah. And like the flip side is moving to the States and working, going over to a sport and working with a group of athletes that historically it's probably fairly archaic you do basketball is you do it because that's just what's always been done that's not necessarily my way so walking into a albeit actually Dan had started that process as well but being a a guy a foreigner guy from Australia that half of them couldn't understand at that point in time and literally having to take 12 months to to get to know people get to understand their why and that's just not players. That was coaches, front office. That was probably the hardest part, I think. And then just the, the player turnover. And I think in my first year, we had 30 players come through in one year. So we have a roster of 15 guys. We had 30 guys by the end of my first season. By the time I left, there was only two players that were remaining from when I got there. One of them was drafted and the other guy had been there for three or four years before that. He's now left and there's only one remaining. And I've been gone 12, not, not even 12 months. So that's the, you start talking about the roster turnover at that level. Like you're always you talk about, I talk about understanding their why and being invested in that individual. Mm-hmm. It's emotionally taxing when you're having to do that, potentially 15 different guides every year. Yeah. But that's also fun harder, right? Like if you get to see that something click in someone's eyes when you go, no, I've got him now. Like he'll do what I'm, he'll trust me. Like he'll do what I ask. That that that's gold. And that's there's a couple of those in my third year that I just didn't think I was going to be able to crack, and I got it. And that was that was really satisfying for me. Really satisfying. In terms of profiling, like is there is there always a profiling for people's why? Do you think like you mentioned some for some it's finance, for some it's being best, you know, being the best player they can be, and they love the game, the passion. Like is there sort of common answers that pop up the top three or four with a pro uh, not really everyone's different like you'll be surprised money pays especially at that level like at the NBA at NBA money's a really driving factor for 
the vast majority. Like you get paid well. And it's mm. you kind of talk about you you talk about it openly. It's like they were cheap. I work I work for an organization and my allegiances lied with that organization. So I was doing whatever they we needed. It was best for us. But at the same time, we were there to try to get them paid. If they're playing well, we're playing well. And they're getting paid. A funny way of looking at it. But that's a, a big part of what they do, like why they do what they do. Some guys, it is family. Like uh, there was a the guy I alluded to before that had been there for a long time who's just been traded. He got a big payday and he goes, mate, he goes, Jonesy, I'm getting paid to put a round thing in a round thing. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. He was there because he enjoyed he enjoyed playing basketball and he, he enjoyed what went along with that. Yeah. So they're, all guys are different. There wasn't probably one that I don't think really just goes when you're profiling that's where they sit i probably i went back and read brett bartholomew's book around profiling a couple different times and you tried to put guys into different baskets but yeah it it never really some would come out to be true when you read yeah yeah that's that guy's that that environment just changes everything it probably works a little bit better in football i think football i think it and it might just be cultural as well australians typically they're a lot more receptive to just doing what you need them to do or you ask them to do. But I don't necessarily think that's the right way about it either. After being exposed to another side of it, I think it's for athletes, it's their career, it's their livelihood. Yeah. Where they're, where they're driving the bus, we're just helping facilitate it. We, sh- we should really be listening to them. They should. We sh- they should be challenging us. We, we should be strong enough in our own thought processes and our own beliefs that we should have them come back at us. As I said, it's their program. We should be able to table three or four different things at them. And it, it shouldn't worry us. It's not our, it's not, it, it is our career. Like it's our career too. Our reputation's on the line with what we do, but also we're not the ones that are under the scrutiny that these guys are under. So if they don't feel like they're getting what they need, that's probably not a, my personal opinion. Like we should be working, we should be working with these guys. Yeah, and that was something that really sort of just rang true when you were in in the NBA that you pretty have to adapt quickly for to be able to engage them and yeah as I said like we had thirty guys in my first year in the off seasons they go back they've got their own guys so in the off season they'll go back and work with their own people they might be on one team one year and one team the next so why is our program any better than the one that they just came from last year or the year before that or the year before that so that's where you have to work with them. They know their bodies. These guys, these guys know their bodies pretty well. Young guys, you probably need to tell them a little bit more what they need should be doing and what they need to do rather than the old guys. But that's just part of it. Look, we're they're the driver of their bus and we're just facilitating realistically what they what needs to be done for them. And Australian like I said before, Aussies are a lot more receptive. It's on a piece of paper and they'll they'll go ahead and do it. Americans more and the basketball and basketball probably can't say American basketball was a little bit more you had to work with them yeah yeah and like you said there's a culture aspect to it they're getting exposed to yeah. their own team and yeah you get bigger, bigger stakes as well with the money involved you mentioned like view motion uh for those that aren't aware of it what is it all about How, what do you like about it as a artificial intelligence coming into league sport and then i guess other areas as a bit of a segue for future trends in high performance yes yeah. uh, obviously you mentioned drop jump testing and using force plates yeah what's sort of your stance on objective approach yes like i've come from a a piece where with coaches in front office they're very emotional around decision making so if we can be as objective as we can like sometimes the eye does a lie 
So if we can be objective with as much information as we have, we can go back to them and, and actually provide fact. That's what I, I like a little bit around the force plates, hang set, force decks, force frames, whatever, you, stuff like it. It adds a piece of objectivity to something that's very subjective to the eye, I guess. The view motion piece is only something that I've been exposed to in the last couple of years. I like it from the kinograms that you get out of it, joint, ang- joint angles, etc. I like it from the change of direction piece. Like I didn't really touch on it before, but I think deceleration is really underutilized, underthought of in sport, especially in the AFL. Like we all talk about the ability to explode away from a pack, but you've got to get into a pack to start with. So if you're first into the contest, or you, even if you're second into the contest, your ability to stop when change direction is better. You're already on the way out. Yeah. And then if you've got the same propulsion, concentric propulsion to accelerate, that you're better at decelerating and changing direction. Well, you've now won that contest. View motion, they actually do a really cool change direction and like little analysis that talks about braking speed coming in, degrees of the body's penultimate step, etc. that really helps with being able to add some objective data to what you're seeing and it's just not a number. So a guy's really stayed strong and be able to come in and break hard or do they start breaking a lot earlier and then that gives you a little bit more information as well. What I think's going to come in, I think kinograms, um, I think it's going to be a, a huge, right? I'm not kinograms, I think kinematic information's going to be huge. I think at some point, relatively soon, we're going to see data, get cam- enough information to be able to be collected by cameras that you'll get in-game kinematics and you'll go, oh, rather than having to do Nordic testing for guys to get eccentric hamstring strength, you'll end up getting functional hamstring strength. And it may not just be having to run across the square in football and we're going to get it from that, how much torque's going through what part of the hamstring. I think we'll actually get it in game. Yeah. I think we'll be able to look at functional. I think we'll be able to get that yeah, that functional element to, to this. I don't know how far away it'll be. I know the group out at Stanford University are looking at stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's it, where that, um, that like, going. Is that wearables as well as the video? No, nah, no wearables. So that's probably another one. I, I wonder how soon wearables become obsolete and everything's just camera-based. The NBA, that you're not allowed to use wearables. Everything's camera-based. So football's a little bit different. You you kind of want that play alone metric, I suppose, from the, the contact. And basketball's slightly different that you don't have it. But most, a lot of European soccer now use Connexon, which is I suppose, a, a catapult variation. starting to go down the camera-based system as well in European soccer. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so they, they're, just probably, the two, they're probably the two things that I start to find as AI starts to take over a little bit. Some interesting stuff start coming out of that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah, last few questions today. We'll start to wrap it up. Obviously, it's been... Yeah, 50, 50 odd minutes of your time. So, wonderful of, of that. But, pet peeves in your work life, anything that sort of fires you up or in the oh, industry? Nah, like, I'm a pretty relaxed kind of guy. Like, probably goes back to the quote that you said earlier. Like, I like just, I'd rather get spoken to directly. We worked in such a fast paced environment. Just tell us straight up or tell me straight up what needs to get done. I'd rather just be able to deal with it then and there and not have to, to worry about something a week later, two weeks later down the track. So that's probably something that I would be, yeah, pet peeve is just information coming to hand slowly. You just let, let it out there. 
we're all big boys once you get to this level. Open artist conversations. Favorite way to spend your, your day off? Uh, I think I'm starting, I'm starting to show my age now. I've actually just started really getting into lawn care. I love a green grass. Oh, yeah. And that could be from living in New York for four years where I saw all I saw was concrete and weeds. Yeah. I've really started to get into my lawn care. And that's my partner. He's probably sick of me talking about, oh, is the grass a little bit green in there? But yeah, that could be me showing my age a little bit. Yeah, that's great. That, that's not one that's popped up so far. That's, yeah. that's awesome. And what about, what, what are you most excited about for obviously recording this early January 2024, mate? What's on the horizon for the rest of the year? Yeah, like, honestly, I, I'm really excited to see where some of that profiling actually gets to. Like, circle back into this conversation. It's, I came back in in February last year, so I didn't actually get a chance to do a lot of this sort of stuff. So now that we had started this profiling and guys are on these kind of individualized programs based on where we want to sharpen their sharpen the arrow a little bit and just keep plugging way down deep. I like to see hopefully first week week of October where guys actually fall and then just building on that. And yeah, I'm honestly just I'm looking forward to being able to put a full twelve months into into this role. Come back in halfway through the year was had its had its challenges. Definitely program was already set. So see where this group can actually come come this year. Disappointing year last year for us. But yeah, I think we we've got some upside. Right, absolutely. You're, you're lucky to have you, mate. You've had a wealth of experience, both, as you mentioned, North Melbourne and NBA, and, and now the Jordan Cats doing great things. So I yeah, really appreciate you coming on, sharing with us yeah, your wisdom, and, and both from a practical point of view, but also the, the science behind it all as well, mate. So yeah, really appreciate it. For those that have any follow-up questions, is there a best place to get in contact, or do you want them to just sort of send me the questions and be the middle, mate? Uh, look, yeah, just you can shoot an email to me, Jones at geelongcats.com.au. Yeah, no, I'm more than happy to, to respond and get on a call, grab a coffee for whoever's down in Geelong. And look, I'm, I had that happen from when I was younger. I reached out to, to practitioners that have been in the industry and they gave up their time for me. That only pushed my career forward. And I'm more than happy to do the, do the same thing going back through. At the end of the day, the guys that are 10 years younger than me coming out of university now, ones that are going to take, hopefully, take our jobs someday, Jack. They're going to keep pushing us forward. That's where the conversation starts. Um, they have questions that makes us think and makes us better. 100%. Yeah, I love that, mate. For those listening in, if you're, you're driving, don't stress. I'll add Dan's email to the show notes so you can access it there and, and make sure to follow him up with that. That would be an absolute great resource and great connection to make to, to further your career. Yeah, thank you for everyone that's tuned in to the show. If you tuned in halfway through or a bit towards the end, make sure to tune in from the very start. You can find this episode on our YouTube channel and we'll post it on our podcast in the next couple of weeks. We've actually got a, a colleague of Dan's on tomorrow. So our next for Bella Crow Live Chats with Scott Murphy. He's also at the Geelong Cats and they'll be tomorrow, 4pm Australian time. So I look forward to seeing you guys then. Thanks again, Dan. No worries, mate. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. 
and I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for yeah yeah another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the prepare like a pro live chat show here's an example with academy member Rama Davies the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you're having a hard time um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um, yeah. so that's that's been huge um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch, 
To suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.